the community that I want to work with, which is the Latinx community, which is my community, there's a lot of illness and disease within our community that has a lot to do with systemic issues, systemic racism, xenophobia, and part of public health to me is addressing some of those root causes or what we call fundamental causes of ill health or social determinants of health. And so really understanding why certain communities have particular issues is really important to me so that we can get to those root causes. And that also includes me and my family and my community. So public health is personal to me because it includes me. <laughs> so I'm part of the public. That was today's guest, Yvonne Quiroz. Hello and welcome everybody to Making Public Health Personal. This podcast is brought to you by the CUNY Graduate School of Public Health and Health Policy in New York City. I'm your host, Laura Mioli-Farragon from the Office of Online Learning here at CUNY SPH. Each episode of Making Public Health Personal focuses on an aspect of health and social justice that affects our daily lives. We'll learn from expert faculty, researchers, alumni, and students on how public health policy, advocacy, and practices can benefit our ever-evolving community and our world. You don't have to work in healthcare or have a PhD to understand these topics. We're going to break them down for you and give you practical tips to make a difference. Today's episode is about what it's like being a public health student during a pandemic. You might be wondering what are some of the possible career options available, the challenges, and the silver linings. Giving us a unique student and faculty perspective is today's guest, Yvonne Quiroz. She is a doctoral student here at CUNY SPH, focusing on community health and health policy. She's looking to focus her research on food justice, race, culture, and health. Yvonne is a California native who has worked as a community organizer and as an organizational director for social justice organizations in the San Francisco Bay Area. She has a master's degree in public health from the University of California, Irvine, and a bachelor's degree in biology with a minor in Latinx studies from San Francisco State University. We'll find out what brought her across the country to New York City and the process of applying for a doctoral program at CUNY SPH as an out-of-state resident. We'll also discuss her teaching experience as an adjunct instructor for our health equity, communication, and advocacy class at SPH, her career opportunities now as a doctoral student, and the options available to her after graduation. If you're interested in studying public health but not sure where to start or just want to know more, this is your chance to find out. Thanks for joining me today, Yvonne. Yeah, thanks for having me. So tell me about your journey. You're from California. What made you choose CUNY? So interestingly enough, I happened to learn about it at the AAPH conference a couple years ago. So I randomly met somebody who was doing their master's at CUNY and I told them about my interest in food and food policy and food justice. And they said, oh, CUNY has a food institute. You might be interested in looking at it. And so I looked at it. I hadn't seen an institute like it before. And so that really was my reasoning for applying. And then I found out CUNY in and of itself is like very affordable and I'm able to work full-time or work part-time and take full-time classes. And so I really liked the flexibility that CUNY offered. And so I applied and got in. Awesome. So did you come here to New York just for this program or were you already planning on moving here? I came to New York just to go to CUNY. So I made the trek. <laughs> And as a non-traditional student, how did you end up pursuing a PhD in your mid-30s? Yeah, good question. So when I graduated high school, I think we're going to take it all the way back. Um, <laughs> pretty much my childhood dream was becoming a medical doctor. 
And I kind of decided I didn't want to do that. And I was kind of unsure. And so I kind of took some time off and then decided, well, I still love science. So I'm going to just do a bachelor's degree in biology or some kind of science. And then I'll kind of figure out from there. So I went to undergrad still with the idea that I probably would do medical school. And when I was at San Francisco State University, I was able to participate and volunteer for a free clinic that was run as a joint kind of venture between my school and the medical school at UCSF. The clinic is called Clinica Martin Baron. It served mostly Latinx clients. And as I was working there, we just saw the same clients over and over again for different issues. And I was like, there has to be something more than just individual care. And so that's where I moved from doing that into organizing. And then from organizing, I figured out public health is kind of like organizing, but like on a larger scale, specifically around health. And so I was like, oh, I want to do that. And so I looked more into it. I had some friends that have MPHs and then I decided to do my master's in public health. And then through that, I figured out that I loved working with community, but I was really interested in research in the social sciences. So I decided to do my PhD to be able to do research. So was it difficult as a California resident to apply and be accepted to a program in New York? No, it wasn't actually. Public health schools and colleges, they all use the same platform called SOFAs. And so SOFAs is essentially one centralized platform to apply to different programs. So I use the same platform to apply for my master's and it was the same thing for the PhD. And so that makes it really easy because you kind of just click and see which schools and programs have which requirements and what their deadlines are, but you just turn everything into this one platform. So that made it really easy to apply both to CUNY and to other schools across the country. And the requirements are pretty much the same, whether you're in-state or out-of-state student, as far as applying. Got it. So now that you're pursuing your PhD, what are your goals for your career? So I really want to do research. That's kind of my main goal. And there's obviously different ways to do that. The two main ones that most people will hear about is through academic institutions like CUNY or through industry, which is like either doing governmental work or maybe like private institutions. I want to stay in academia because another part of my career goal is to teach. I want to be part of that process of both learning from students and then also students learning from me about what's new and innovative and exciting in public health. So because those two are kind of tied, I'd love to stay at a school and teach and do research. That's pretty much my goal, but Some people want to work at hospitals and some people want to work with um, in governmental like Department of Health. And so there's a lot of flexibility with public health in deciding kind of what your career goals are. So you mentioned that you want to teach and I know you teach as an adjunct at CUNY SBH. How's that been for you? And is it your first time teaching? It was really great. Um, I'm not teaching this upcoming semester just because I'm trying to focus on finishing up and getting into my you know, my third year. Mm -hmm. It was my first time teaching a course, though I did really enjoy it. The learning curve was probably bigger than if I would have taught before. The good thing is that in my role previously as a community organizer, I did have to create curriculum. I did have to create summer institutes or facilitate meetings. And so I feel like those skills really transferred into the classroom because essentially what you're doing is you're facilitating learning Uh, obviously through different methodologies and pedagogies, but really it's you're facilitating a meeting for these students and 
you're teaching them something that you know, and they're also engaging in that process around teaching what they know from their experience, and then also having a discussion. So I kind of saw it as something that I've done before, but just in a very specific way around this is teaching a very specific topic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it didn't feel unfamiliar, but it definitely was a new experience. Yeah, absolutely. Teaching a college course is a different experience than teaching a workshop or a different grade level. And so I'm sure it's really beneficial for you because of the career path that you want to have. So you're getting that experience teaching while you're in school. Yeah, definitely. And I think being a student also helped me engage with the students and then also help me remember what it's like to be a student, particularly in a pandemic being more flexible or like having some more compassion for what students are going through because I was going through the same thing. (laughs) Absolutely. So how's this SPH program been convenient for you financially and otherwise? Yeah, it's been really convenient because most of the courses are in the evening. So it allows you to work and that's by design. Obviously the PhD at SPH is meant for working professionals. And so courses are from either usually from six to eight And then you can work your regular full-time job if you want during the day. I don't work full-time, but I do work at the Institute a few hours a week. And then I also have another job doing some grant writing a few hours a week as well. So that equals, I guess it's almost full-time now that I'm thinking about it. Sounds like it equals (laughs) full-time. Yeah. (laughs) I was thinking about, I was like, yeah, it's kind of like 30 hours a week. Um, Doesn't feel that way though, because you know, everything is working from home right now. So mm-hmm. it feels a little bit more flexible, but yeah. So I, I like that it gives that flexibility to be able to work and still go to school. And it's also super affordable. So that also helps. Um, the hard part is gaining funding from school where more like traditional PhD programs have like fully funded programs. And so you don't have to pay for tuition and then you get a stipend. Um, and so, you know, you're kind of getting that money and it's, you know, you can budget for it and it makes it a little bit easier, but the flip side to that is that there's a cap to how much you can earn. So you can only do work with the PhD program in these more traditional programs versus at CUNY. If you want to pick up more hours at your job, or you don't want to quit your job because you're making relatively good money. And so you're financially stable. That makes a big difference for somebody who maybe can't quit their job because they have a family and Mm -hmm. they need that amount of money, but they still want to pursue a PhD. I also think that this type of program attracts people of different backgrounds like me who are considered like non-traditional students. And so I feel like that creates an opportunity to learn more about other people and their experiences. And it gives a more diverse look at, you know, the field of public health, which I really enjoy. So you mentioned the ability to work remotely right now because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Were there any silver linings about your remote work that we should know about? I think for me, it's mostly just being able to do work at my own pace. And that is kind of even with classes. So I have ADHD and sometimes my brain is just like, no, we don't want to do that today. (laughs) Um, And in a traditional more um, like going into an office, type of job, I would be forced to kind of make up the energy to do this one thing. Uh, But working remotely allows me the flexibility of like, okay, I don't have like a deadline at noon. So, you know, I can take an extra hour in the morning to get Mm -hmm. myself ready to do this work. 
So for someone who's neurodivergent and who doesn't really have stable energy <laughs> every single day, yeah. it helps with being able to still be successful at my work and contribute in the way that I want to, but not being held to kind of like neurotypical standards of you have to come with 100% every day because that's just not possible for me, <laughs> unfortunately. And probably for a lot of people who are not neurodivergent. For a lot of people. Yeah, mm -hmm. right now, especially too. So I think that helps. Yeah, I think it's really important to find what works for you. And it sounds like you're making it work. Even you have some challenges. Everyone has their own challenges. But with the flexibility of being remote, you can create your own schedule, make it work for you and get your work done, which I know you're doing a lot of work. <laughs> right. Yeah. The flexibility really helps. So one of the things that you're studying now is something called embodiment theory to look at food insecurity. What is embodiment theory? And tell us a bit about your research. Yeah, so I'm still thinking through how this is going to work if I decide to do it for my dissertation. Because um, mm -hmm. everything right now, my brain is like dissertation, what is it going to be? <laughs> um, and so embodiment theory is essentially the theory that everything that we experience becomes part of us, like physically, mentally, emotionally. And in that embodiment, the way that we react to the world changes, our perspective of the world changes. And so my interest is how does the embodiment of living through food insecurity impact the way that people interact and have relationships with food in the future? I don't know how that's going to play out. Um, for my paper that I wrote for my class, I found a research article that discussed how the embodiment of food insecurity can come out looking like and being uh, disordered eating. So binging, hoarding, not eating. And so that kind of piqued my interest in the sense that I'd never thought about those things that and how they're connected. And so I'm trying to see if that's a possibility in doing my research for my dissertation. But if it's not, I definitely want to dig into it after I'm done with my program and just mm -hmm. kind of see, is that the only kind of outcome of embodiment of food insecurity and or what are some changes that could be made to our understanding of how food insecurity really impacts people on an individual and on a community level? So it sounds like you're doing a lot of really great research. You're engaging in the things that you're passionate about. What advice do you have for other students who are interested in pursuing a master's or PhD level degree in public health? Ooh, good question. Definitely do it. <laughs> um, but definitely do your research. I think there's so many programs and colleges and schools of public health across the country that I can get really overwhelming. And so I would say make a list of both why you want to pursue either a master's or a PhD in public health, and then find the school that kind of fits what you're looking for. So do they have an institute that is doing research in what your research interests are, or a professor that teach courses on that and that are willing to take you on as like a research assistant. So all of those things kind of matter. But really, what's important is why are you doing it? What's your kind of People like to say, what's your why? And then um, find a school that kind of matches that. Another piece of advice that people think is superficial, but I think is really important, especially if you're doing a PhD, is find a place that you're willing to live in for five plus years. <laughs> I don't think people really think about the fact that if you're going to be moving for a program, you're going to be there and essentially setting some roots. And a lot of your networking is going to be there. Your colleagues will be there. The people that you met throughout your program will be in this place. 
And so really think through, are you willing to stay in this place for five plus years? Is this the place that you need specifically? Like I was interested in doing like urban food work. And so Mm -hmm. obviously coming to New York City is like as urban as you can get. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So that was really important. But if you're interested in rural communities, going to a school that's set in a rural community might be really important because their work will be focused on that community. So place matters both on a personal level and then also for research. So those would be kind of my two tips. Yeah. And and when you say five plus years, that's really important because a lot of students at SPH and at CUNY, they get opportunities while they're in school. And then this becomes their home. New York City becomes the place where they're going to stay because their career opportunities. So as you said, choosing a place that's relevant to your research, relevant to what you're passionate about, but also a place that you want to live is important. And I love what you said before about the funding for programs. Um, I wasn't aware of that. So very important to see if there are any caps on how much money you can earn while you're in school, things like that. So it, it sounds like you're saying do your research and read carefully. Yes, definitely look at the programs and make sure they're offering you what you need to be successful in the program. It's not all the same. Like for myself, I thought, unless you got into a fully funded program, you're not going to succeed. And I think actually I would have probably done worse because as many people, (laughs) anxiety around finances and being able to survive in this world (laughs) and eat and pay rent, that brings me a lot of anxiety. Um, And so being able to have a job or multiple jobs that pay well and that I can pursue while also doing my PhD is really helpful. And those fully funded programs, you do have to work too. It's not like they're just giving you money and then you're just studying. You're also teaching courses, you're overseeing classes, you're TAing. And so there's still work to be done. So it's just a matter of what program do you feel is going to give you the support that you need to be successful. Thank you, Yvonne. And thank you for listening to Making Public Health Personal presented by the CUNY Graduate School of Public Health and Health Policy in New York City. I want to give a special thanks to our guest today, Yvonne Quiroz, and let you know that all the links and resources we discussed in today's episode are available in the description below. To find out more about CUNY SPH and our programs, you can visit sph.cuny.edu or connect with us on social media. We're on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search CUNY SPH. You can now share, like, and subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on our YouTube channel. This is your host, Laura Mioli-Farragon, signing off. And while public health has a global impact, that doesn't mean we can't make it personal. If you dream of making a difference in the world, a public health degree or certificate can give you the tools to do just that. The City University of New York's Graduate School of Public Health and Health Policy equips public health professionals to advance not only a healthier New York City, but a healthier world for us all. We want you to join us in our mission. Visit sph.cuny.edu to learn more about our programs. No matter where you are in your career, CUNY SPH offers a broad range of degree and certificate programs to not only help you advance in your career, but to have a real impact on the world. Public health professionals are needed now more than ever. Join us. Visit sph.cuny.edu to learn more.